All right, gentlemen. So question for you. Have any of you ever experienced persecution personally or anybody that you know as a result of your faith in Jesus? Have you ever felt threatened directly because of your faith in Jesus? Go. Threatened with violence, I would say no. I feel like short, just sweet and short, I would say there's times where I felt uncomfortable or that I wasn't necessarily as welcome because of it, mm. but never that there was going to be violence against me. Yep. Yeah. Like there's definitely moments where you feel maybe a little bit embarrassed to admit mm. your beliefs, but I can't say I've ever felt that my life was under threat. Yep. So it's like debate and or apologetic as opposed to direct threat of violence to your person because of your faith. And yet for the first number of centuries in Christian, in the experience of the way of Jesus, this was like a, like if we were to take a time machine and sit with Stephen before his eventual death, they'd be like, are you kidding? What? Like you never faced this? What? Yeah. You're probably doing something wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very different world that we live in, for sure. Are you even living your faith if you aren't persecuted? Yeah. Like, y'all don't kill each other? (laughs) Huh. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Common Room Podcast. I'm here with Jimmy and Garnet. My name's Dan. And today we're talking about persecution. Yay. Yeah. (laughs) Fun subject. It's um, not something I feel like we talk about very often at all. Uh, though it can be kind of a hot button issue. Um, I guess my first question, as we read about stories of persecution in the Bible or learn about stories of persecution historically, my first question is why, why do people persecute one another? Mm. What is the, what is the perceived goal in persecuting a specific group for any reason? Mm. Um, yeah, I wonder what you guys think about that. Can I back up your question to a pre-question of said question? Yeah. Like, it would be interesting just to talk quickly about, like, what do we mean when we say persecution? Sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. just personally for each of us, is yep. like, what what pings for us? I can go first. Yep. I grew up in, uh, like, I, I'm a 80s, 90s kid, right? So the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s, the, like, persecuted underground church of the 80s and 90s, which it predated that for sure, but it felt like... In evangelicalism, that was like a hot, like those are the two things. It's like every piece of music that you listen to has backmasking and it's moving you towards Satan. And anytime that anywhere else but North America, you share the gospel, you're going to have to do it underground. You're going to be killed for your faith, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, that's the image that's uh, conjured up when I when I hear that question. What about for you guys? Yeah, I think uh, I'm, a, I'm a big history buff. So I think about like the early church context i think about like uh christians being sold into slavery and like fighting in the coliseum and being eaten by lions <laughs> yeah that's uh that is a graphic image yeah. yeah that's that but that's what i think of yeah i i think i would agree with that like my understanding is very much so like the upper room like hiding from persecution hiding from some sort of body of people that are seeking to do you physical harm or kill you um, because of what you believe. And I think as time has gone on and as we've gotten to a more modern context, there's a shift that has happened where we start to look at persecution as 
anything that makes me feel uncomfortable for my faith means that I am being persecuted for my faith. And I don't think that that's what we mean when we say religious persecution. I think that that's, that's, we're, we're actually invited more into that discomfort because it gives us opportunity to have conversation about it. Um, but when we say persecution, we actually mean someone intends you physical harm harm or to murder you. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that both of you guys went straight there. It's like, oh no, this is a death thing. Yeah. Whereas in my experience is like, well, this is like a, a negating of rights and freedoms based on a religious context. Yeah. And mm. I, I would say that like, I'd expand it beyond death for sure. Yeah. Like, I think when you see like Paul and, uh, other apostles being thrown in prison, I think that constitutes persecution. Certainly. Yep. Um, I don't think that the threat of death necessarily needs to be there, but I do think it's more than just, I feel uncomfortable Yeah, in a situation. It's like a intentional act to thwart the efforts of, um, evangelists of uh christians just i guess like living out their faith um however that looks um it's a desire to like shut down the belief system yeah Yeah, that's good yeah also we don't say the the word thwart enough thwart good word yeah okay it's good to say it (laughs) so back to your question yeah uh can you repeat it again yeah so why why do we why do people persecute one another and you know i i we could expand that question outside of the context of uh, persecution against christians but mm. why does anybody choose to persecute another people group i th- just think it's kind of an interesting question to consider yeah yeah i think i i won't be able to credit who said this but uh we fear the unknown like we fear what we don't know mm. and so if we don't have the knowledge through which to see the person the person becomes less of a person, but becomes a threat. Yeah. You know, in our economy, uh, worldwide presently and historically has been like, well, if some, like you fight fire with fire, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Right. It's not like, uh, we don't have that knee jerk response of like, okay, I don't get, or I don't agree with, or I'm opposed to what Dan and Garnet are saying, but let's sit together and process together and do the long journey of discovery uh to better understand instead it's like you represent something that's totally counter to my ideals we're done well exactly that it's it's it's, we don't believe the same thing we don't have the same values or we don't have the same viewpoint and it is far easier for me to just do away with you than it is for us to actually engage in conversation to figure out what it is the two of us can come together on yeah yeah, I, I hear you guys on that. I think it's interesting because we, there's certainly plenty of people, I think all of us could point to to say like, you know, our belief systems don't have a whole lot in common. It's very hard for me to see eye to eye with this person. And for me personally, I find it far easier just to kind of ignore those people. Yeah, just kind of it is an arm's length. To like chase them down and hunt them down. Like that seems to be taking it to a whole nother level Mm. and um like fear of the unknown pings for me for sure but i think implicit in persecution there's some semblance of a threat right because it's it's not merely that um i disagree with you and therefore like you know i can potentially ignore you or we can just steer clear of each other stay out of each other's path it's like no your belief system threatens my current existence in some kind of way yep, mm. or my lifestyle in some kind of way yep 
And I think that that is like an important distinction when we look at persecution of Christians historically, mm. because it wasn't simply that they had a belief system that was incompatible with the Roman way of doing things or the Greek way of doing things. It was, or the Jewish way of doing things. Primarily. Um, it was like, this is uh, revolutionary. Mm-hmm. This is a revolutionary belief system and it's going to turn our society upside down if we let it take control. And I think when we look at the story that way, it's very interesting to look at the the, the progression of someone like Saul, later called Paul, um, because he has all these people kind of like coming to his feet and like he's he's being worshipped in a kind of way. And yeah, he's signing off on acts. Yeah. People are like, we need this guy. He's our hero. He's saving us from these Christians, from this these people of the way. Yep. Um, yeah, I just think it's like, yeah, that's kind of a, a, it's given me fresh eyes for how I look at that whole Well, I mean, story. even moving beyond, like dialing the volume up um, beyond just ideology, like when it becomes your theology or a theodicy, like that's a whole different thing, which mm-hmm. I agree with you, like even pre- you know, the, the trial of Jesus, he's not, uh, there, there's some scholarly debate or philosophical scholarly debate, um, with like in particular new Testament, uh, textual criticism, sorry, nerd phrases. Um, so what was Jesus arrested and tried for? There are some people, uh, current scholars who would say, well, like it was a political ideology that Jesus had that was contrary to the Roman um, ecosystem of of finances, of war, of militarism and politics, and then even more so, Jesus wasn't counter Judaism. He was actually trying to bring it back to uh, the the grassroots level of what you know being an Israelite, being a, a Jew, is always meant to be. And that is a lovely sentiment sentiment, and you can see traces of it. But the direct correlation you just don't see in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus is a- accused of most regularly blasphemy you know jesus receives forgiveness like uh um gives permission for forgiveness of sins you know which in a jewish context i mean you what are you doing like agreed it's not just ideology this is blasphemy this is like not only are you standing in the way uh being a person of the way see what i did there but you're you're moving us contrary to everything that we've ever known so absolutely dan like you are a threat and a threat that must be eliminated yeah you know and same thing with the the early apostles they 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 don't back down so to speak but they also don't be like okay it's our turn like let's grab some weapons and see who fights best <laughs> yeah um i think it it might be interesting to ex- sort of expand this question to um i guess what i see a lot of um and I do think that there's there's places people draw inspiration for this from the Bible, but I see a lot of response in the modern context to perceived persecution. Yeah. I'll just leave that where it is. Sure. Come back to that later. Yeah. Is uh, a lot of anger and mm-hmm. a desire to platform, uh, like a word that gets used often is zeal. Mm. Um, in in response to to persecution or perceived persecution. Um, does that, like, where does that, if at all, have a place in our faith lives? Um, I think like you, you can look at, people will always point to Jesus flipping the tables in the temple as like 
this is a great example of like biblical anger or uh, righteous anger. Um, zeal is a is a term that gets used consistently, I think, by by Paul in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of like it evokes kind of a similar kind of thing. Like, yeah, where where should this sit in our in our Christian lives? Um, how do we practice that in our in the right way? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, there, I, there is a difference between anger and zeal. Like I see zeal depending, yeah. And uh, depending on the context, like zeal for me is like passionate intention, mm. you know, uh, whereas anger is like the emotive response based on an inj- a perceived injustice, right. Um, that can lead to a physical response. So I, I just think it's, it is where it, it takes you. There are some Anabaptist theologians who, would say, yeah, actually, Jesus does not give anyone permission to ever be angry. Um, in your anger, do not sin. <laughs> Whereas there'd also be some Anabaptist theologians who would say, no, like as a movement, um, you know, the, the Christian movement, but also the the radical reformers were like, we are hell bent, and I say that intentionally on on injustice. Right, like we're not okay with it. It's not just passivity around. Like, yeah, there are poor people who we have the means to serve and care for, and yet we don't, and they die. Well, don't want to get angry at that. So, what are you going to do? It's like, yeah, no, we should be zealous over mm. like what God um, has called us to, which is to seek justice, to to show mercy, uh, um, and to to care for each other, to put down our own. Um, wants and needs for the sake of another. Jesus boils it down to two commands, love God and love each other. If you forget everything else, that was the two. those are the two. And then Paul goes further and says, okay, even if you can't get to the, the like, love God, like serve one another, love each other. Like this, mm. this is the crux of it. So I still, especially as an Enneagram eight, like I still do wrestle with my own semblance of anger. Mm. Um, when it comes to injustice, right? Like I don't have the, I wish I did, and maybe I'll get there, um, but I don't have the natural inclination when I see or experience an injustice to be like, well, sheesh, that was tough. Lord Jesus, uh, help my heart. You know, I'm like, I'm mad. Yeah. You know, I'm angry about it. Now, what I do with that is a different scenario. Should I, under the name, in the name of Jesus, go and punch Willem out? Specifically, well, I mean, he's right there, and I really like his hat and his beard. I live vicariously. Um, or is it like it is? A, it is the better response, and it is this one: the journey of discovery. Like even with passion in my heart, and even with my language, sitting down with Willem and being like, "I disagree with you, and this is why." Like I'm actually offended at and and upset. We got to talk about this. As opposed to, no, with all sorts of veal, uh, zeal, anger, and fervor, I'm just going to exact violence on you. Because yeah. there's a big difference. Yeah. And unfortunately, historically, the Christian church has been very well known for the last one, not the first one. Mm-hmm. Paul actually wrote in Romans specifically zeal and persecution. So this is from uh, Romans 12, starting chapter 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. So hate what is evil. Mm. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. 
Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Hate what is evil. Bless your persecutors. Yeah. And what is, not who is, I think, is an important, like, yeah, what is to dry with not, right? Yeah. And, and Romans 12, right? Yes. Yeah. So, and, well, there you go. Think about the context, too. Romans 12 is... Um, Count, like live your lives as a living sacrifice. Yeah. Right. So like offer yourselves in community to the movement of Jesus, even to the point of death. So this is a community encouragement, not an individual. Like this isn't Paul writing to like the individual believer. It's the body of believers mm. who definitely are being persecuted. Like they under the threat of like Paul is likely writing from a jail, jail cell you know, wanting to generate funds in order to go to Spain, knowing that he will face death. Like, it's just, it's on the list, you know, and it's interesting. He, it's still not just like, okay, let's, we understand what the Romans are trying to do. They're trying to, you know, take over their own world and make everybody more wealthy and provide aqueducts and like fresh water, you know, give them a break. Paul's like, yeah, no, 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 no. There is evil that is at work in this government and we stand opposed to it. But what do we do? Do we slay those who persecute us or do we pray for those and bless those who persecute us? Like it's the economy of people, not the economy of power that Paul, that Jesus, that all of the earliest uh, disciples and apostles had to learn to care more about. They weren't that way when they were walking with Jesus. They're like, let's kill these yeah, homies. Yeah. Let, let, let's do it. You know, Jesus is like, for the love of God, <laughs> literally <laughs> how, how more, what more do I need to say? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and it's, I love that there's somewhat of a, a balanced nature of like anger can lead to passion and passion can lead to anger hmm. because if if we're passionate about something and it gets questioned or opposed that can make you angry or that can certainly lead to discomfort or or conflict which then can spur on further things but what i really liked about what you're saying is when we do get angry and i feel that we are also because he was saying you're saying that in your anger, do not sin. sin. Yeah. So there's almost a permission there to get angry. We're almost said, yeah, you're going to get angry. That's part of life. That's part of your experience. But it's what you do with that anger. If you transition that from just anger to a passion, like when you're angry about inequality in the world or injustice, well, then that should drive your passion to serve those who are adding in it. Yep. Yeah. Really well put. Reorienting that energy. Yeah, that's really good. And having a short fuse too. And I don't mean like exploding on people's short fuse, but um, in your anger, do not sin. And then also Paul says, uh, uh, or, uh, Jesus, sorry, says um, like, don't don't give a long period for your anger to fester, mm. you know? So like, don't let the sun go down, uh, on, like deal with it quickly, <laughs> you know, whether it's- Address it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's good stuff. I want to um, circle back to- my comment on perceived persecution. <laughs> so I think um, when we think about how the word persecution gets used in the modern context, um, there are probably a number of examples we could drum up. Yep. Um, I think it's it's a valuable conversation for us to have here to draw out and maybe delineate a little bit as to like the difference between what we see in certainly in Paul's life and the story of the early church and what we see in like Western, yeah. our Western context. Yeah. So, um, yeah, 
I think like maybe we could just go around and talk about like how have you heard the word persecution used in your in your life mm -hmm. in our in our context. I think something to say there is just like heard it used versus whether it was accurately used can be two different things. Yes, yeah, absolutely, uh, very much so. Uh, and I think in like again, like you said, Western modern society, persecution can certainly be beyond just physical harm or or death um but it gets i think muddied a little bit when we get to the point of it becoming discomfort is persecution mm. and and so i think it's hard because there's certain contexts where you're going to be uncomfortable you're going to be challenged you're going to be questioned and that doesn't mean you're being persecuted but it's like you were saying jimmy it, there has to be some level of a shift in power dynamic and a shift in um, your own personal rights that is being abused yeah. for there to be persecution. Just because you're discomfort, uh, or you're in discomfort, or because someone questions you or is challenging your belief system, doesn't mean you're being persecuted. Yeah, so, and I mean, in the Book of Acts, which is, by the way, if you haven't uh, been dialing into our teaching, the Book of Acts, we're in the Book of Acts. It's so good; you should dial in and you should read it. Um, there, there really was only one definition of the outcome of persecution as it related to the formation of the early church. And it wasn't like, well, this is going to be hard for me to study the word and practice my beliefs. No, you will die. The end. Mm -hmm. So again, if we were to hop in a time machine and sit with uh, Stephen and say, so tell me more persecution, he'd be like, this can be a fast combo. It means I'm going to die soon because of my followership of the way of Christ, of the way of the Messiah, Jesus. Yeah. The end. It's going to end in death. What are you guys talking about? Oh, well, we're talking about like how, you know, sometimes we can't meet in churches when we used to be able to because of COVID and that really infringes upon our rights and like our kids are learning this stuff and he'd be like, aren't you guys adorable? Like what? You think that's <laughs> like, yeah. sure, that's an infringement maybe on your rights and freedoms, but as early Christians, we've always had that. Yeah. We've always been working uphill against an ideology and a religious framework that says you can't do that to the tune of death. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting to me to kind of like play this scenario out to its end game, like in a world where uh, we are fighting actively against any level of discomfort that we have in practicing yeah. out our faith. What does that world look like? Right. Because often the things that I hear get uh, thrown around as ideas are like we need prayer back in schools is one that it just gets mm. uh, uh, parroted quite a lot. That was huge in the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I need to be able to express my faith comfortably in any possible situation. I think we inch close and closer and closer to some kind of like Christian uh, like the national like um yeah, yeah. <laughs> nationalist sort of a scenario where um faith is the cornerstone of like our society and it's almost in some ways enforced um you don't really get to create a uh yeah a a social experience where christianity is accepted in every possible corner and facet i mean you can hold any belief yeah let's forget about christianity for a second you can hold any belief about anything in western society and there's going to be somebody that disagrees yep. with you the only way to ensure that nobody disagrees with you 
and that you're always comfortable platforming your viewpoint is to force everybody to believe the same thing that you believe. Yeah. And I think that that's like, that's really the danger of what it looks like to fight against uh, discomfort versus like, you know, actual uh, mm. threats of against your life or these sorts of things. Um, and yeah, I wonder whether we, we really play that that scenario out to to the end when we consider yeah what it would look like i mean something else to just even dive further to that is the idea of so um at least historically speaking to live out your faith means you will be pure persecuted for your faith so then in today's society where there's less of this whole it ending in death side of it if you're not persecuted for your faith then are we living out our faith right yeah and yeah, there's almost a desire to kind of um, embody what we see played out in in the Bible. So when we read verses in the New Testament about persecution, uh, there's always an effort made on our part to figure out how that's relevant to our lives in the here and now. Mm -hmm. This is probably a really interesting conversation to just have like a longer version of is like, do we always need to find a way for scripture to relate to our personal experience. Mm -hmm. yeah. Cause I think that that is kind of a very modern Christian type of thing to do Yeah, is find like direct correlation all the time. Um, I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case. I would agree with you. Um, a longtime mentor of mine, he said years ago, and I've never forgotten it. When you read scripture specifically, they're typically, and this is his category, these are his categories, but I love there are three things that are happening. One, you're hearing the word of God for you. One, you're hearing the history of God uh, for for God's sake, and you're then you're hearing the 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 people of God. So the individual, the theod the 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 theodicy, how God works, and then how God works with His people. So there are some times where through Scripture, and most often this is how God speaks to me. It is through the written study of the written word that's then um illuminated by the 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 divine word jesus you know what i mean um but i agree like there are more often times than not that when i read the written scripture like reading joshua 6 of the canaanite genocide yes uh, what <laughs> like i'm gonna cut my lawn in 10 minutes what does this have to do with that? right right you know so it is a good category for me to be like okay so this is the people of god and the history of god right here that i'm reading this is not for me. I can learn things and appreciate what this very ancient civilization was going through, but to try and extrapolate, okay, God, what are you trying to say to me? Is there anybody in my neighborhood that I should kill? Mm. No, 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 no. <laughs> Who are the Canaanites in my life? Yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> right. Or even trying to like, sometimes in a strangely arrogant way to put ourselves into the shoes of these early disciples, apostles, followers of Jesus that are all going to the death and be like, I get it. Poof. I get it. Do you know that somebody argued with me about a point of theology yesterday? I get what you're going through. We don't. We yeah. don't. And so humility should be our, like, we don't live in that world or in that way. It's not the same. And that's okay. Like, we don't need to bolster up this, like, religious fervor. Uh, to say, well, we're persecuted and see everybody's against us. Well, not really. And I would say in my experience recently, um, like when I was uh, first in ministry, like apologetics were like a real big thing, mm -hmm. right? So there are lots of books written. Apologetics is just like the the defense of the faith, a critical analysis, historical analysis, um, answering the questions of like, is there a God? Does God exist? And does God care about you? Here's why, here's what, here's who, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that just seems to, it's still a thing, but in my 
I feel like it's not as much of a thing. The the dialogues that I the conversations that I have with people who are outside of faith and have no interest are by and large now for me anyway very generous and gracious. So like good for you. Like yeah. I, I like that for you. Yeah. Not my vibe. Not my thing. Do you? You know. Yeah. I I relate to the uh, enthusiasm about apologetics. That was certainly a big part of of my faith journey as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I found with that is a lot of it is kind of uh, what I'll lovingly refer to as debate lord tactics, <laughs> yeah. where it's sort of like, it's going. I'm going to arrange my argument in a way that is really kind of hard to refute. Mm-hmm. And it works great if you're having an argument with somebody and you're trying to like prove or, or at least prevent your position from being disproven. I'm right. But I you're don't, wrong. Exactly. I yeah. But I don't think anybody walks away from a conversation with that kind of a conclusion and thinks, hmm, maybe I should give this Christianity thing a try. <laughs> like debates never really result that way. And I think we can probably all look at conversations we've had around the dinner table with family or uh, conversations we've had with anonymous people online. You know, I'm not saying I've ever done that, but well. Uh, it's too soon. Yeah. Like nobody walks away from those conversations that are adversarial and and comes away with a completely different like, mindset. Huh, that was really helpful. Really changed my mind to that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What's the worst result of that? Oh, we agree to disagree. Yeah. And I, I really dislike that because it's like, why do we have to agree to disagree? Why can't we just come to a better mutual understanding that we both have different perspectives? Yeah. But I think maybe where I'm going with that is just like, the goal of our, uh, the conversations we have with people as it relates to faith should not be to win the argument mm. per se, but simply to, I think, uh, as best as we can communicate why it's compelling for us. Yeah. I think that speaking, um, from our humanity and, uh, the way in which, um, yeah, our beliefs connect with us deeply is far more compelling than any like close ended argument that uh, the other person can't really respond to. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that's how God speaks to us as well. Yeah. Um, if if God was all about empirical proof of different elements of our faith, I think we'd live in a very, very different world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's indicative of the fact that we are meant to be in community with each other and sharing with one another these experiences, these stories, these pieces, so that we can get a better picture of God through one another as well. Yeah. Yeah. The lived experience of a person and the power of their story is always more convincing and engaging than, you know, like a a debate forum or a session, you know, like those are always like advertisements are are geared that way. It's like, I want to connect with the person that leads me to the product. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think the same is true. Like all of the, 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 the book of Acts again, uh, just shows that. Like, in fact, it's funny as you walk through, they're kind of one trick pony um, thing was they had the same kind of historical retrospective sermon. So that they always reproduce. And then as you work through the book of Acts, like they get interrupted because it seems that, and this is my interpretation, that the people who are hearing it are getting bored. So in Acts chapter 10, uh, which we'll get to at a later 
pod, but uh, uh, Peter is giving the same sermon that he's given before, right? And he's at Cornelius' house. He's like, okay, I guess this is my shot. I'm going to give my sermon. I've practiced a lot. I've had 2,000 converts the first day. I'm killing it. Just killing it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then the Holy Spirit interrupts the sermon because uh, uh, Luke's um, presentation in the end of chapter 10, verse 44 says, and while he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit interrupted things and fell upon the people. And then they start speaking. So Peter's like, but it wasn't. Oh, that's really But wasn't cool. done my yeah. conclusion. All right. Well, what are you going to do? And then he doesn't argue. He's like, uh, it seems that the spirit is pouring uh, himself out on mm. these Gentiles. Yeah. Is there any, anybody that would oppose to them being baptized? Like, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to take a real left turn here. Love it. Conversation. Uh, pulling us back to persecution. Uh, we had Willem look up some some stats for us um, because I think we're pretty well acquainted with our understanding of of uh, persecution in the Western world. But uh, we wanted to just kind of explore what does like real real data. Yeah, like what does persecution look like globally uh, in in our modern world? Does it still happen? And if so, where? And what scale? And on what scale? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did some digging. Um, a resource that just kept popping up was Open Doors, which just seems to, they put out a watch list of countries that are specifically like ranked to not go to or have more risk if you're a Christian. Real quick, top 10, North Korea, Somalia, Yemen, Eritrea, Libya, Nigeria, Pakistan, Iran, Afghanistan, Sudan, none of those places, forgive me if I, you know, if I misspeak here, none of those places seem altogether stable anyways, mm. let alone specifically for Christians. Um, but with their stats, uh, they're saying that uh, 5,621 Christians were killed specifically for their faith um, in this past year. Um and I think it was about 2,000 churches that were burned down. Um, collectively in those regions. Collectively. I think this is from all of their data, data it says. Yeah. I, I think, like, obviously none of us here are going to be able to speak uh, with any level of expertise to any of those specific contexts. Mm. Um, some we may be more well acquainted with because of the news and all of that. But I think what we can do as Christians um, is, I mean... The first thing probably we should always do is pray, uh, pray for the, the, the conditions of, of Christians that live in those countries, mm. uh, or missionaries that, that travel to co those countries. Um, yeah, I think that anywhere where death is legitimately a threat, uh, of people practicing their faith, mm. um, yeah, I think is, is a cause, a cause for real concern and, um, we've talked a little bit here today about like how it is that we respond. I don't think th it's through any of maybe the more traditional or like dramatic means that we might think of when it comes to nation states. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm Another thing I'd like to add just yeah. from, from, from this digging is I just looked at some of the, the big countries that you hear about North Korea, India, China, and all of them kind of have the same theme of, of there is a pushback against Western infiltration, mm, right? So yeah. exactly. So uh, in India, a lot a lot of things started 
after the European colonization. And then they said, nope, we're just going to everyone be Christian now because that's what we do. And so there's just a lot of pushback on that. Um, North Korea, um, it says that they have a a freedom of religious belief. Um, They can they can hold ceremonies, they can build churches, all that stuff. Um, but it specifically states religion must not be used as a pretext for drawing in foreign forces or for harming the state or social order. Mm-hmm. So you can do whatever you want, but it just can't, can't interrupt things. Can't interrupt things. And so like as Western Christians, I think we need to just come to terms with and understand we've moved into these places and bulldozed over culture yeah. in our name. And a lot of what persecution we're seeing now is a result of that mm-hmm. and so it's the idea of um taking the the log out of your own eye before you point out the splinter we have to humble ourselves and say you know as christians we have to take some responsibility for the harm that we've done mm-hmm. and if we want to make things better acknowledge that and say we don't want to do that anymore we want to work with you and a non-binary mm-hmm. a- approach to relationship like I agree. We can't even just in conversation with um, brothers and sisters who we disagree with and passionately disagree with as it relates to uh, the the systematization of faith, we still have to do the the work of relationship. Like again, coming back to a debate forum, would it ever make sense and would it ever be equitable for me to sit down with um, a brother or sister who is uh, practicing the way of Islam, who's a Muslim? and say, hey, I just want to tell you, everything you're doing is absolutely wrong and right. sinful in the eyes of God, and yeah. you need to repent today. Can I lead you in the Lord's Prayer? Like, do, you, do we know any context for that? I'd be like, yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, I've been waiting for that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the religious ideologies mm-hmm. get in our way of seeing people as, yeah, divinely loved, bearing the image of the divine, um, and, and worth it, at least in conversation for better understanding, worth it, you know? Yeah. And I think with that, just to say, like you were saying, first and foremost, we have to pray on it. But I think that there is there is two pieces there, and I think you touched on the second piece, is like prayer without action is empty and action without prayer is misguided. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, yes, we do need to pray on it. Yes, that is something that we need to bring to God. But then we also need to approach any of these connections and interactions with that in mind so that we are taking action on and building those bridges and atoning for these things that we've done in the past. Mm, yeah. 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 It's we, there's deep scars left globally, obviously. And I think that, um, yeah, I, I can't say it any better than, than what Willem said. Humility, I think kind of has to lead the day. Mm. Um, yep. And, and I think in prayer also kind of looking to how how God is looking to lead us, um, yeah. yeah. With with whatever steps may be next, rather than kind of like resorting to our own our own designs. Yeah, praying like God, wh- how do you want to change my heart, mind, and outlook? And then part two, God, what do you want me to do? Yeah, practically, tactically, physically today, as a result of how you're changing my mind, heart, and outlook. Yeah, yeah. Okay, guys. Well. I think we've really covered the gambit here today. Dissolved persecution. Yeah. We did it. Done. Dusted. (laughs) There shall be no more of it. Not at all. Um, Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, We'll see you on the next episode.